look around and see what's happening in our world and even look into our own lives and see the uncertainty, the questions, the fear, the doubt. It'd be certainly very easy for us to give up. And yet you have given us something that we can believe in, something that we can trust. We can rest our hearts and our minds and our lives and our families and our church on the foundation of your character, the unchanging one, the all-powerful one, the eternal one, the sovereign one the loving one, the gracious one. We believe these things to be true, Father. We resist the lies of Satan and our culture that there is no absolute truth. We resist the lies that there is no right and wrong. We resist the lies that everyone can just decide what they want to do for themselves. We base our lives and everything that we do on the firm foundation of the truth of your word. I pray that you would just guide us now by your Holy Spirit as we look into that word, as we read it, as we study it together. I pray that our hearts would be open to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I was going to say this a little earlier, and I didn't. I don't know uh, how many of you have seen her, but our sister Holly is back from Turkey. There she is. She's so little, she kind of blends into the crowd. So I, I saw her earlier, and I knew it wasn't an apparition. I knew she was actually here. So we are so glad to have Holly back f- with us for just kind of a short stay the next few weeks, but... Uh, You'll be hearing from her a little bit during the service next week, and she will be around if you have a small group and you want an up-close and personal update on what's going on in Turkey and what God's been doing in Holly's life. She would love to come to your group and make Turkish tea and tell you all about what's going on. So see her afterwards, and you'll see her here. She'll be around the next little bit. So we're glad to have her with us. Uh, I'm going to show my age a little bit here this morning, not that you don't already know it, but when I was a kid and we got a new pair of jeans, they felt somewhat similar to cardboard. (laughs) They were really, really super dark indigo blue and they were stiff as boards. And as you wore them, the longer you wore them, they would tend to get a little softer, a little more broken in, a little faded, definitely more cool. That was just the process that you went through back in the dark ages when you bought jeans. Now today, of course, you can buy pre-softened, pre-washed, pre-faded. I mean, these, they're just like sweatpants. I could never go back. Uh, This is not my vibe, but if you're interested, you can get jeans that are pre-worn out. They've got holes in them. They've got rips in them. They've got strings hanging off them. Uh, 
couple of weeks ago, Melody and I were in town. We were in a store, and, and we were walking down an aisle, and a young lady was walking back towards us. <laughs> and after she walked by, we both looked at each other and were like, how are those even staying on? <laughs> it was kind of more like shorts and then nothing until you get to the cuff. I mean, seriously, they were flapping in the breeze as she was walking by. But, you know, that's what the kids are doing these days, I guess. Uh, personally, I think that's cheating. You all should have to buy them like we did and work for it. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I saw this a little while ago for uh, all of the city dwellers that have Jeeps and 4x4s and SUVs. I am not joking. I know you think I make this up for a laugh, but I, this is all true information. You can buy spray-on mud for the side of your truck to make it look like you've been out mudding with it. I'm not kidding. That, it's, it's a real thing. It is a real thing. Here's the point. Point is this. We have a tendency in our lives to enjoy shortcuts, don't we? Love a good shortcut. Well, Melody and I are driving somewhere. Man, if I can shave off 15 seconds, I'm taking that right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. I love it. Unfortunately, it rolls over into our spiritual lives sometimes, and we think, I wish there was a shortcut to get from where I am in my walk with the Lord to where I want to be. Is there a book I can read? Is there a study I can do? Can I come to church a little bit more and automatically become mature? That would be great but it doesn't work that way. Now, last week, Pastor Tim got us started on Hebrews chapter 12. And in those first couple of verses of Hebrews 12, we learned that the Christian life, the life of faith, is a long road of endurance and difficulty. Everybody would like to be the Olympic 100-meter gold medalist. They're flashy, they're muscular, and they're blazing down the track for 9.3 seconds to glory. But nobody wants to be the scrawny little marathoner that's slogging away 100 miles a week so that they can run 26.2 in under two hours to win that gold medal. What we've seen as we've looked at Hebrews 11, and if you are familiar with the Old Testament at all, you'll see a lot of the saints had to endure a lot in order to become who God wanted them to be. Joseph spent 13 years in prison. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert tending sheep. You see, Christ desires Christ-likeness in us, and often... Suffering is necessary to soften us to his will and to his purpose. Now, it's interesting if we think about Joseph and Moses, just for instance, 
Joseph suffered in that jail cell for 13 years through no fault of his own. If you know the story, read the last few chapters of Genesis. Joseph did nothing wrong and he suffered. Now Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert as a consequence for sin. God does not leave us in our immaturity, but He pushes us. And His discipline is comprehensive training for our maturity. But whichever way it is, if we suffer because God desires for us to suffer, or if we suffer because of the consequences of our sin, either way, Christ-likeness is not cheap. It's not easy. It's costly. For every Christ follower... Holiness should be a lifelong pursuit. We're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Tim read the first two verses for us, and I'm going to start in verse number three. So let's spend a few minutes there this morning. The writer continues and says, Consider him, that is Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I want to just stop right here for a second, and I want to just draw your attention to something. First of all, there is a wonderful, restful side of the Christian life. Our salvation is secure. Our destiny is sure. It's certain. Christ did it all. Used to be an old hymn that we used to sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, teaching the people who are following, said, Come to me and give you me your burdens, and I will give you, does anybody know the verse? I will give you rest. In Philippians chapter uh, chapter 4, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. There is a restful side, a peaceful side to the Christian life. But there's another side to the Christian life that is a struggle. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 13, strive to enter through the narrow door. And in 2 Timothy, Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. And these passages are not contradictory. Because you see, our destiny is sure, but our holiness is in progress. And it needs to be worked for. It needs to be fought for. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about believers who were tortured and imprisoned, and martyred. And last week we talked about laying aside all of our sin and all this distraction so that we can run this race of holiness. And now the writer here continues to challenge us in our faith. And in that verse I just read for you, verse 3, he says, consider Christ's example and don't give up. Now the word consider there means to think it through. It means to take all the information... Bring it all together and put it all together. Add it all up. The example of the Old Testament saints. 
and the example of Jesus Christ and what he fought through and what he struggled through. There's certainly no question that if we are living a Christian life, if we are living a life that is honoring to God, that we feel pressure from the outside that seems like too much, don't we? Our culture is, is pushing back against us. But there's some good news. Did you see it? Did you see it when I read verse 4? What's the good news? The good news is, you see it? It could be worse. You didn't think that was good news? He said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Cheer up. You're still alive. We are called to resist sin, and that's difficult. It's a fight. Whether we're resisting sin in our communities, where we're pushing back against sin and immorality in our schools, if we're pushing back against dishonesty in our jobs, or if we are standing against a corrupt government, it's difficult. Actually, sometimes the sin that we need to resist is in us. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what am I fighting? Is it around me or is it in me? Whatever the answer, God intends to use it to encourage us and to challenge us to develop holiness. That's what he's talking about here. Let's notice the next verse. Look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, this is a quote from the book of Proverbs here. And I want you to notice here, he answers this question, why does God want to use our suffering? Why does he want to use difficulty and even the consequences of our sin to encourage us in holiness? Why does he want to do that? The, the answer is right there in those verses. Did you see it? Because we're his children and he loves us. Even though some of our difficulty comes from without, from those who are hostile to us, and some of it comes from our own sinfulness, I want you to note this, that God is the one who is in charge here, and God is the one who will use it, whatever it is, to change us. Now, we can have a discussion sometime about God's sovereignty, and some of you may be looking at this and thinking about it, or you've had this question before, and we talk about this often in our theology classes and some of the other classes and groups that we do. Well, where does, if God is in control of everything, where does sin come from, and did God cause people to sin? And we can have that discussion sometime if you want to have that. But that's not the point of the passage here. The point of the passage here is simply that God controls all of these things, and because He loves us, He is going to use it to cause us to grow up and to get stronger. 
Last weekend, Melody and I had the chance to run up to New Brunswick for a couple of days and visit with some of our family over Canadian Thanksgiving, and we had a chance to visit with a couple of new, I don't know, what would they be? Great nieces and nephews, our nieces and nephews' babies. And uh, I had a little chance to hang out with Theo. Theo, I should have brought a picture for you, but you'll just have to trust me that he is the cutest six-month-old little boy in the world at this time. He's the reigning title holder. He is adorable, absolutely the cutest kid you've ever seen. And he and I spent some time together. And uh, he's getting so strong. He's growing. I saw him when he was two months old. He was just this little tiny thing, didn't really move around too much, squirmed a little bit, and while we were hanging out last Sunday afternoon, he was bouncing all over the place and sitting up and standing up and pushing against you when you tried to pick him up and snuggle him because he's growing and getting stronger, and I love to see that, and I was watching him with his dad, my nephew, and they were playing, and his dad's face was just beaming because his little boy was growing and getting stronger, and that's what God wants for us because he loves us, and I want you to understand this morning that God's purpose, God's discipline is to restore and to strengthen us, not condemn or destroy us. When we face difficulty, again, regardless of the source of it, we face difficulty, we always think, why does God hate me? Why doesn't God love me? I assure you that His desire is to strengthen you, not destroy you. Of course, those who stand against us mean it for our harm. And when Satan tempts us to sin, he does it because he loves to see us suffer the consequences of it. But God takes every adverse thing that happens in our lives and somehow in his sovereign supernatural plan, he turns it into something that is for our good and for our growth. How many of you know the name John Piper, but Mr. Piper says this about this very thing, God reigns over the hazards of our circumstances and the health of our bodies and the hostility of our enemies, and he designs all of our lives ultimately as a loving father's discipline. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Once again, He reminds us, he stresses that God's motivation is love as our Father. Why does he keep reminding us? Because we keep forgetting it. Now, I understand that not everyone has or had a loving Father. I know that. I've talked to many of you about it. 
But those who have had loving fathers have been disciplined because that's what godly loving fathers do. I have a godly father, and he loves me, and he disciplined me many, many, so many times, (laughs) so many I am a loving father. I hope I am a godly father. I disciplined my son so many times. (laughs) That's what loving fathers do. Now, here's the interesting thing about discipline. Sometimes it's punishment, right? Sometimes wrong has been done, and it must be punished. Especially when you have smaller children, some days you just walk into the living room and there's magic marker all over the couch. It just happens. And so you discipline for punishment because wrong has been done. But sometimes discipline is preventative. We discipline because we want to prevent something bad happening. When you see your toddler heading toward the stove, you discipline them. Why? Because they've done something wrong? Well, no, not yet, but they're about to do something that could hurt them. And so you discipline them as a preventative. And sometimes discipline is education. We teach so that life might be lived properly. Don't write on the walls. Bad punishment. Don't run out into the street. That's preventative. Get off your butt and mow the lawn. That's education. You see, did you notice what he said here in this verse? Did you notice in verse 8? He said, if you are not disciplined, you are not loved. Isn't that interesting? If you're not disciplined, you're not loved. Just a short time ago, I had a chance to meet a young man 20 years old who grew up in a home where he was literally left to his own devices. His parents didn't wash his clothing for him. His parents didn't make meals for him. His parents didn't make him clean up or shower or do anything around the house or do his homework or go to school if he didn't feel like it, or go to bed when he felt like it. Some of the teenagers are like, yeah, well, you know, that's, that doesn't sound too bad. I'd like to give that a whirl. Literally no discipline, no instruction his whole life. He was 20 years old, and I'm not exaggerating. He did not know how to eat with utensils. He would put his chin on the table and push the food off the plate into his mouth. 
He was so hindered that he couldn't work. He had no idea what work was. He had no idea how to take care of himself, and his parents kicked him out. You're on your own. One of his aunts took him in, and she began to, guess what? Discipline him. She began to punish him when he did something that was wrong. She began to stop him from doing things that were harmful to him. She began to educate him by requiring him to do things. When I met him, it had only been about six months. And I think he was actually doing quite well. At dinner with us, you might not have ever known there was anything wrong. A life devoid of discipline reveals that you are not a child of God. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us, still referring to our earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines, He disciplines us for our good that we might share in our holiness. Now, our earthly fathers were not perfect. My father was not perfect. I am not perfect. But they did what they thought was best. I did what I thought was best for my son. But God's discipline is always good. It's always right. It's always beneficial. The motivation is love and the goal is, look at it, the goal is holiness. Now can you see, can you even begin to fathom what he is saying here? That you and I, the two of us, that we would share in the holiness of God? Struggling, inconsistent, wretched, self-focused sinners? But that we could share in the holiness of God? He's the source of it. He's the measure of it. But through discipline... God shapes us and molds us and trains us to be less like our natural selves and more like His holy self. There's the learning, and then there's the doing. He disciplines us for our good. He shows us what is right so that we can share in His holiness, so that we can do it. And we need that. Because to start with, we we don't have the knowledge. We don't know what's right because all of our minds, all of our lives and our hearts are focused on doing what we want to do. We don't even have the knowledge of what it takes to be holy. But even then, when we do have the knowledge, we don't have the willpower to keep it going, do we? We have to learn, and then we have to do. Remember verses 3 and 4, we need to keep going. We need to keep struggling. We need to keep fighting. Because God's greatest desire for us is that we would be like Him, that we would share in His holiness. One more verse. Let's look at it together. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is painful. It's not fun. It's not pleasant, he says. It doesn't matter if it's punishment or preventative or education. It's painful, but the plan is positive. Notice that he says later, afterwards, later on, there's wonderful fruit, peace and righteousness. You know what two things that you and I need if we're going to keep going, if we're going to keep struggling, if we're going to keep fighting? We need God's peace and we need God's righteousness. We need peace to deal with what goes on in our lives. We need to know that things are settled between us and God. And we need righteousness We need to know what to do. We need to know what's right and what's wrong to guide us in our decisions. And the writer here says that as we go on this process of discipline or through this process of discipline, we've been trained by all of these things that God allows. Now, the word trained, I just want to draw your attention to it briefly. The word trained is the Greek word gymnazo. Recognize it? Gymnazo, it's where we get our word gymnasium. It means, it implies to give full effort and full exertion and full discipline. You want to know what the word gymnazo literally means? It literally means to train naked. I'm just telling you. It means to train with nothing holding you back. You've seen pictures, artists' renderings from Bible times, right? You saw what they wore. Long, flowing robes and gowns. Pretty hard to get much speed going with one of those on, right? Familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul tells us to gird up our loins? That literally meant to put a belt in and tuck the end of your robe in the belt so that you could run. And this is what it means here, to practice, to train with nothing holding you back. Remember what Pastor Tim told us in chapter 12 verse 1 last week? Lay aside every what? Wait. Anything that would hold you back, put it away. Now, in our setting, I might suggest a pair of those yoga pants that we were talking about last week, but you do you. What God does in our lives, whether it's through the hostility of others or our own sinfulness bringing consequences down on our heads, we are being trained for life. We are being taught peace and righteousness and holiness. I told you a moment ago that my father disciplined me so many times. Let me just quickly tell you about one of the times that has burned into my brain. I was 15. One of my brothers was 14. 
We were, as all brothers are, at times best friends and at other times arch rivals and enemies for life. One of those times, I don't remember what we were fighting about and what we were arguing about, but I can see it just like it was yesterday. He was standing in the doorway of his room, and I was standing with him toe-to-toe, and we were arguing about whatever this was that was earth-shattering at the time, and he frustrated me so much, I must tell you that as a teenager, I had a lot of aggression in me. I just did. I'm super ultra-competitive. I would punch walls if my team lost. I would do all kinds of foolish things because I didn't know any better. And my brother frustrated me so much, he was standing right in front of me with his smug little face and his little glasses that I just went pop right between his eyes. And I broke his glasses right in half. I hope you won't feel too much less of me after I tell the story, but... I did. I tell you, I did it. I was so frustrated, popped him right between the eyes and broke his glasses right in half. I was punished for that in multiple ways, which I will not share with you at this moment. And I'm sure that I grumbled at my father for not seeing my side of it. But can I tell you something? I am so thankful for that now because over the last 30 years, my brother is nowhere near the most irritating person I have had to deal with. (laughs) Present company excluded, of course. What am I saying? I'm saying my father trained me. I learned. My heavenly father trained me too. Disciplined me so that I can live my life in a way that's honoring to him. Where are you in your pursuit of holiness? Where are you in your struggle with sin and suffering? What are you facing right now? What is pushing back against what you want to be happening in your life? And as you identify what's difficult in your life at this moment, can I encourage you to ask these questions? Is this punishment? Do I have sin to confess? Is this preventative? Am I about to make a mistake that God is trying to keep me from making? Or is this education? Is God trying to teach me something? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in the 40s and 50s in Germany, and he said this, When all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not the unending struggle of the spirit against the flesh. I want to challenge you this morning, my friends, to embrace the discipline of God. 
It is always to restore and to strengthen. It is not to condemn you. It is not to destroy you. It is to draw you to himself and to his ways. We need to turn away from sin and toward holiness. And guess what? It's a choice. You get to choose how you will respond. Will you accept the loving discipline of God? Will you understand that it is for your good? Will you understand that it produces peace and righteousness in your life? Or will you kick against it? Will you push back and demand that God give account of himself for allowing this to happen in your life? Can I challenge us all this morning? to humble ourselves before God and ask for His mercy. Father, we stand before You this morning as a body, as a family, but also as individual Christ followers. Father, help us to identify what you are doing in our lives. If we have sin to confess, I pray that we would fall on our faces and confess it and absorb this discipline, this punishment, the consequences of our sin, knowing that you wish not to destroy us, but as your children, you desire us to grow, to learn. Perhaps, Father, in some of our lives, you are seeking to prevent us from making a mistake. Pray that we be willing to look at our lives, to look at what is in front of us, and to hear you. Sometimes, Father, you just use the things that are happening in our lives beyond our control to teach us how to live. Pray that we would live holy lives, Christ-like, that we might honor you. Thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to share in your holiness. Your grace and mercy alone make this possible, and we are thankful. Go with us into this week. Give us the courage to face what we must and the willingness and the strength to do what you are calling us to. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.